0: So, this morning we'll move on through the body. We're coming right into the core of the body with this group of parts. So, this is the third group, and we'll do the same thing we've been doing. We'll recite it forwards <coughs> five times. And then we'll recite it silently to ourselves five times. And then we'll, I'll guide you through each part one at a time. Heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. Heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. Heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. So we'll begin with the heart. Color of the heart is often considered to be red. In Buddhist texts, the colors relate to the temperament. Clear and bright like a washed gem in pure water, then it's you are wise (laughs) yellow has to do with being faithful light amber with speculative red as in greedy (coughs) diluted all washed up (laughs) its shape is like a lotus bud its direction is above the waist And its location is that it's found between the two breasts inside the body, slightly to the left of midline. And it's bordered by the lungs in the back and it's behind the sternum or the breastbone. Mm, I see that some of you are putting your hands on your heart. So feel free to do that if that is helpful to you. Heart. It's defined as being a hollow, muscular, contractile, 10-ounce organ, the center of the circulatory system. This amazing organ pumps, are you ready for this, over 300 quarts of blood an hour. It provides propulsive force to circulate the blood through the vascular system over <clears throat> over 60,000 miles a day. It beats around 100,000 times every day and some 37 million times a year. In a lifetime, two to three billion heartbeats which is to some extent thanks to modern medicine and sanitation. The human heart creates enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. The heart, so we'll sit with our hearts for a moment. Now we'll move our attention to the liver. The liver is pinkish-brown and its shape is like an oblong ball. It's convex on its upper margin and concave on its lower margin. It sits above the waist and it's in the upper right quadrant of the abdominal cavity, resting just below the diaphragm. The liver lies to the right of the stomach and overlies the gallbladder. And it's surrounded by the digestive organs, circulation, respiration, and back. It's the largest internal glandular organ in the body. It weighs three to three and a half pounds, and it's about the size of a football. The liver is the first to receive blood from the intestines, where the blood has absorbed the final products of digestion and decomposition. And then the liver removes toxic products and purifies digestion and assimilation. It incorporates amino acids into energy production. It synthesizes cholesterol as well as lipoproteins for the transport of fat to other body tissues. It converts fatty acids so they may be used as energy sources. The liver stores and releases sugar, and it's the storage place for copper, iron, vitamin B12, and fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, and the liver excretes bile. The liver is an amazingly busy, complex place. In Greek mythology, Prometheus was punished by the gods for revealing fire to humans by being chained to a rock where a vulture would peck out his liver, which would regenerate overnight. And it is actually true that the liver is the only human internal organ that actually can regenerate itself to a significant extent. Very, very important very complex, the liver. So let's rest with the liver for a few minutes. Next up is the diaphragm. The color of the diaphragm is that it's whitish and reddish. And it's a thin, wide, elastic membrane shaped like a beanie. So one of those little hats that you wear on your head. It's above the waist and is in the abdomen and chest, and it separates the chest cavity from the abdomen. And it's bordered by both the abdomen and the chest. Defined as being a thin layer of muscle that separates, separates the chest cavity, which contains the lungs and the heart, from the abdominal cavity containing the intestines and digestive organs. It extends across the bottom of the rib cage. What it does is that it contracts to promote inhalation, flattening downward and permitting the lungs to expand. And it relaxes to promote exhalation, rising to its dome-shaped position and compressing the lungs. So when you follow your inhale and your exhale, it's a lot, the movement of the diaphragm. The diaphragm is also involved in non-respiratory functions, helping to expel vomit, feces, and urine from the body by increasing the intra-abdominal pressure. And it prevents acid reflux by exerting pressure on the esophagus. The diaphragm also enhances venous blood and lymph returns to the heart. In a way, it is considered the venous system, heart or pump. This is what keeps the blood moving through the veins. The diaphragm. We can give our attention to the diaphragm as we feel it moving while we're breathing in between the chest and the abdomen. The next organ is the spleen. The color of the spleen is dark red and it's shaped like a medium-sized water balloon. It's above the waist and it's in the abdominal area lying in the upper left quadrant of the abdomen. And it's surrounded by the intestines, the chest, and the back. It's defined as being an elongated, sponge-like tissue organ. Its function is blood formation, and it acts as a reserve for red blood cells. It also supports some of your immune function as well. There are some old English usages about the spleen, such as being good spleened. So if you're good spleened, it means that you're good hearted or compassionate. We're probably all good spleened in here. In mod- modern English, to vent one's spleen means to vent one's anger. And sometimes the English term splenetic is used to describe a person in a foul mood. There's also a fabulous little song done by Harvard Medical School students called, What Does the Spleen Do? So when you leave, you can check it out and find out. So this is our spleen, very important organ in the body. The last member of this group is the lungs. The lungs are dark red, and they're shaped a bit like two long melons that are cut in half. The surface surface area of the lungs is approximately the same size as a tennis court. your lungs, right in there in your chest, as much surface as an entire tennis court. They are above the waist and in the chest, and they're surrounded by the abdomen, the rib cage, the back, and the heart in the front. And they're defined as two cone-shaped, spongy organs of respiration. Their primary purpose is to bring air and blood into intimate contact so that oxygen can be added to the blood and carbon dioxide can be removed. This is achieved by two pumping systems, one moving gas and the other liquid. During a 24-hour period, the average human, that's you, will breathe 23,040 times, 23,040 breaths. You can start counting now. <laughs> Humans breathe 20 times per minute, more than 10 million times per year, and about 700 million times in a lifetime. Lungs. So in these last few minutes of this set, I invite you to be amazed and grateful. Imagine the heart and the liver and the diaphragm and the spleen and the lungs are pumping and sorting and creating new blood and taking in air and You don't have to do a thing. In fact, they are producing you. It's not the other way around. We like to think we own it. But you don't have to tell them to do it, do you? They just somehow miraculously are created to do what they do. They emerge, they have evolved to do what they do entirely on their own. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, Bob wants to run around saying, I have a body, I have a body. Which would be really cute, actually. But today I feel like I want to call my husband up and say, I have a spleen. <laughs> I have a spleen. Because it's so amazing, isn't it? You know, as, and, you know, I've taught this retreat with Bob for a while now, and every time it's all going on. Your liver is doing all that stuff? I mean, how does it know to do that? Which vitamin is which and where does it go? And you know, and it's an amazingly complex, miraculous piece of evolution. That somehow I'll talk about this more later this week, but you know, whatever happened three and a half billion years ago has rolled along and here we are with bodies that do all these amazing things. So I really, as we move through the day, you know, take a moment maybe between now and the next group this afternoon. And just remember that, you know, these your liver is still sorting and the spleen is cranking out blood and the lungs are breathing and the heart is on whichever breath it is for today, you know. Of the 23,000. It's a lot of breaths. So, a very wonderful, wonderful thing. So, we have uh, what we're going to do this morning is have a few moments for questions, uh, if there are any about what I said last night or about the instructions this morning. And then, actually, before the Qigong practice begins, Marcy, while you're sitting here, Marcy's going to do a little bit of a posture clinic just to talk about posture. And then there will be the break before the rest of the Qigong practice. So, are there any questions? And if anybody wrote me a burning question in the notes, I haven't read them yet, so you might want to ask it on the floor. So do we have any questions? Please. have to record the chant we can do it again it's om mane padme hung so you can find it many 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 places and yeah pardon ah marcy has a good idea we'll (laughs) write it out and put it on the bulletin board yeah please harriet (laughs) Well, It's largely Bob's creation, so I'll say a little bit and he may want to add more. It is some of it based on the traditional old, 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 old. So you get some interesting ideas about color and all of that kind of thing. Um, and we've all had fun finding little factoids to put in. So I don't think then, you know, back then that they knew exactly what the liver did, um, or the spleen. I don't know. I guess they must have known the spleen was there, since it's on the list. But um, So it is, a, it is definitely a mix. But the format, I mean, our sheets here do have that very specific. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a little different from your modern anatomical text. Do you want to add anything?
1: Yeah, I'll just say you can hear me, okay?
0: and and we hope that it's giving you some skill in learning <laughs> anyone else were they opening up bodies yeah they must have Are we good? Hmm. So Just to say, you know, we're in the middle of the retreat. Now um, you're getting quieter. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way, but actually what you're noticing is how much the mind moves around. So that means you're quiet enough to notice it. So you're getting quieter. We invite you to slow down a little bit if you haven't already. And if you have already, slow down a bit more and really soften and relax into the qigong, into the practice. It's such a precious thing. And we have this incredibly beautiful day to relax into. So we encourage you to do that. I don't think there were any announcements, right? So we're... Yes, there are two more group practice discussions, the people who were not seen yesterday. I don't think we left anybody off. We did, in the initial list, we actually got a couple of people put on the list who were at the last retreat. (laughs) They're not here anymore. So, um, yeah, the computer gets confused sometimes. So uh, we'll have those. And then beginning tomorrow... The people who were seen yesterday will have will all have individual interviews and then on Saturday, same thing for the people today. So the interview practice will continue. So I'm handing it over to Marcy.
1: So I invite the teachers if they want to go or if you um, you know, feel like you don't need to hear information about You know different ways to sit and and deal with posture Um, you're welcome to have a walking period now for a little while i will go out and ring the bell to um to call you back to the qigong so um so i'll just do a little um, little tips and tricks with the posture and, um, and then we'll have a little, even those of us who are in the posture group, will have a little break and then I'll call everybody back to Qigong. So if you'd like to um, do some walking meditation, you're welcome to go now. I would encourage to stay. Oh, you're welcome to stay, of course. But some of you have been sitting many, many, many retreats and maybe don't want to hear all this again. So um, maybe probably the first thing to say is that um, there's no position that you will ever find that will be permanently pain-free. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, just with that caveat, um, I'll, I'll launch into my tips and tricks. It's uh, sort of like you know the body; I mean, it doesn't want to sit, you know, and it's it's hard. It's hard on the body to sit. And, um, and then there are things that we can do to help support it. So um, you'll notice that, you know, even just looking at the teacher's seats, there's a variety of different uh, approaches. And so I'll, I'll go over some of those, but um, also just want to give some kind of basic some of the basic idea uh, behind your sitting meditation posture. So the you know, if we look at Skelly over there um, in the back, Uh, The skeleton doesn't really have any muscles to hold um, the bones up, but we do. We have these skeletal muscles that hold the bones in place and if we can kind of rest into those skeletal muscles and the skeleton itself um, and don't have to use some of the bigger muscles so much to hold ourselves up, life becomes a lot easier. So just looking at the basic shape of the body, we have a lumbar curve here in the lower back. And, um, and that's um, what we want to be able to do is keep that curve. And so if, um, if I'm sitting on a cushion, that allows me to ha- keep that lumbar curve. And so I can rock forward and back on my pelvis in, in my sitting meditation posture. So you want to make sure that your posture allows you to do that. You want to be able to have enough freedom to rock forward and back on your pelvis. If, you, if you're stuck here, then what we need to do is basically a spinal extension, and we do that by adding another cushion. Okay, so now I have some freedom in my spine. I can rock. And so that's the first thing you always want to check, no matter whether you're sitting in a chair or sitting on a cushion is um, or on a bench, is you want to be able to have your lower back move Um, we don't want to be in an arched position like this you kind of want the. if you look at skelly back there you'll see that there's sort of a a bell your um, rib cage is kind of like a bell and you want the 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 open place in the bell to be right over your hips so you don't want the bell to be ringing out like this or like that so you kind of want to be centered and so, um, so those are basic, you know, things to look out for in whatever um, posture you're sitting in, whatever is um, helping to prop you up. So for some of us, you know, we can sit on the ground and we can still um, move around. For others, we're going to need to go up higher. Um, at a certain point, going up higher, is, you know, is diminishing returns <laughs> because you lose stability. And so at that point, sitting in a chair or on a bench might be a good idea. Uh, so it's, there's no magic um, to sitting on the ground as far as, you know, nobody is more enlightened because they sit on the ground than if they sit in a chair. So um, it's, <laughs> so it, you know, at a certain point it's like a great relief to just give up that idea um, and 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 then just sit in the chair. But um, so you all have permission to do that at any time. But let me just show you, um, a, I'll, I'll show you a couple different ways to sit in the cushion, um, on a bench and then chair. So. If you are sitting on a cushion, it's a good idea, like I said, to have a little spinal extension to um, make sure that you, you have, you've got some movement here. Um, and so um, the, you can sit like this, or you can also, you'll notice sometimes you'll see me straddle and like particularly for this group of body parts, I want to have good access to my abdomen. So I was sitting in what we call seiza posture, which is um, kneeling. And so. Uh, This can be particularly good if you're having, like, your belly's full and you want to digest and um, it's a good position to be in. So um, a lot of meditation teachers will have one main posture that they always go back to every time. Um, The way we feel about it in Qigong is that, you know, the whole idea of Qigong is that um, energy moves differently depending on your posture (laughs) and what position you're in. So if it didn't move differently like when my arms are like this and when my arms are like this, then why would we bother doing either of them? And so, um, and so, so from our perspective and from the perspective of health, um, it would be better to rotate through several positions instead of just having one. But that said, you don't want to fidget in your meditation because then that creates a busy mind and so uh, so you might want to just commit to a certain posture for a certain meditation session or for half of that session or you know a good chunk of time so that the mind can settle so um, so you can you know have Seiza as one of yours Um, another one um, is just your basic cross-legged position Maybe I'll turn to face you for this one. And so this is, you know, how we used to sit in kindergarten, sort of Indian style. I used to say. And um, and then, but the classic Burmese style is with one foot in front of the other, like that. So that's wider. And then there's always the half lotus, right, or full lotus if you're really a yogi. And so um, so those are the, the typical sort of cross-legged knee bent styles, and it's good to switch which leg is forward and which leg is back, which is on the top and which is on the bottom. Because again, otherwise, you kind of create an imbalance if you're sitting the same way all the time. So part of the challenge of, you know, once you've gotten your spine long enough by adding as many cushions as you want um, in order to have that mobility, then you're thinking, okay, well, what about my knees, right? And so, um, Maybe it's a little compacted on your knees to have your um, your legs so tight and so you might have a leg further forward um, and so that you can kind of release that knee a little bit. And we have these, looks like... A, that those cushions moved around a little bit but um, we have these fancy cushions but you can see they disappear quickly because people take them and they tend to stack them up and so these are you know called knee cushions and things like that and so you really don't need to have a cushion that's specifically made for this you can just um, use a towel and I'll just borrow Mary's shawl here but washcloths are good towels are good they're available in the closets of the dorms and so I don't know how the managers feel about me recommending that you take some, but (laughs) I'm recommending that you take some and you can make your own knee cushion. So you know you can give your knee a little support that way. And um, also if you're feeling like your knee is really compressed, you can do the same thing with just a portion of this behind your knee. And so that creates a little space in the joint. I, I often use my sock for that. So I'll take off my sock and roll it up. And if I'm really prepared, I'll have a clean sock to do this with, and then go behind my knee. And that creates more space in the joint if you feel like the joint is getting collapsed. Um, Same thing for the Seiza position. If I'm here and I'm kneeling, sometimes that can really um, crunch down on the knee joints. And so if you leave that sock in there, that can really help create a little more space in the knee joints. So those are knees. Ankles also tend to get crunched. So um, if you you know the ankle is meant to have a little curve in it. And so um, if I'm sitting like this, I'm flattening that out. Now, if this is something that I'm used to, then it's not a problem, but it's often can get very sore quickly. And so you just want to make sure to leave that curve in there. And you can also use the sock or a little washcloth and you can lift up the ankle a little bit so that it's not twisted. That'll help keep your feet from falling asleep and it'll help keep your ankles from hurting. So um, you can do that with one of these fancy cushions, but you know there aren't a lot of those too. Um, let's see, and also in the SESA position, That also can flatten out your ankles. And so you can go off the edge of your zabuton there, the the square, the rectangular cushion, and that'll keep a curve in your ankle. And you can even, there are a few extras back there, you can even stack a couple up if you want to go even higher, kind of go off the edge. Um, Also, using something like this or um, the sock in the curve of your ankle will help create keep that space so that you can keep the natural curves in your body and natural curves in your skeleton as much as possible so that's kind of cushion sitting bob likes to use a bench and we do have some benches back there and so that just is seiza, but usually a little higher whoops and they do collapse so you kind of have to okay Okay, and so usually if you need to go a little bit higher, like you're feeling like your knees are getting squashed or your feet are getting squashed and none of the little tricks with a rolled up sock help, um, then going a little bit higher is a good idea and using a bench. And so you always, when you use the bench, you want to make sure that it's angled <laughs> down toward the front because we want to keep that curve in the lower back. So I'm here and I can still rock forward and back. But I don't want to be, the position I don't want to be in is this, super hard on your spine and your neck. So the challenge with, whoops, <laughs> clearly Bob is better at this than I am. Um, it's oftentimes it's better to sit off the back edge with these because they're more stable. Um, part of the problem when you're going up and up and up, like if you're sitting on several cushions or you're sitting on Seiza bench, is the higher you go, the harder it is on your neck and shoulders. It's like, And it's almost like there's more weight dropping down with your arms. And so one of the things that you can do if you find that your neck and shoulders are getting really sore is to, um, to raise your arms, change your arm position so it's not just always hanging down. So um, you can use a cushion and just put your hands like this that helps a lot. Um, and so you can change back and forth here, here. Sometimes if, um, if, there's a, if you're really having a lot of soreness, sometimes hugging the cushion can help. And, uh, and so the neck and shoulders hold a lot of tension. And as that tension begins to let go, it can be extremely painful. So uh, that's just sort of the defrosting process. (laughs) So it's been numb and frozen, and now as it starts to get circulation and get aliveness back into that area, it can start to be painful as it defrosts. So um, eventually that'll ease up the discomfort and pain. But but you can have your hands like this too uh, on these more, um, these kapok ones. These ones squish too much the buckwheat hull. You have a question? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you can bring something like a jacket or something that's heavy, blanket, yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about in
1: Yeah, and so there, I would incorporate the something under the ankle, so that you could le- bring off the pressure on the feet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you want to keep the curve of that ankle. So, um, so now shifting to the chair. Um, The chair is the same idea. If, if at all possible, you want to be able to um, rock your pelvis, and so um, and not sit like this. You know, the back jacks are particularly. bad for this, The say of you going back. And so um, oftentimes what you need to do is to add a little cushion, big or small, depending on what you want, so that you're you're supported off, your back is supported and you're not not just sinking back. And so depending on, you know, you might need a little lumbar support. Usually people don't need support all the way up and down, but they could use like, if you've got one of these or you've got a, wa- a towel, a towel would be better than a washcloth because you can roll it up bigger. But if you put it right behind your sacral area, right here behind your pelvis, that's usually enough to keep your spine rounded. And so you don't need a cushion all the way up and down the spine, which is optimal. It's better if you don't have something that you're leaning back into. If you need to, of course, do that please do that. But it's it's better as far as keeping you awake and your energy movement and supporting your spine, training those muscles to support the spine um, to not be completely supported. Another thing that can help is um, if your neck and shoulders are are bothering you, you can put put one right underneath the shoulder blades here. And that can help your shoulders round back and keep that the natural curves in your spine. And so again with the chair you can experiment with having the arms hang just hanging down in the lap, but they can also be up here if you're finding your neck and shoulders are really bothering you. And just changing positions, you know, alternating positions can be really helpful. So those are some basic strategies to use with your sitting meditation posture. And so feel free to take a few minutes and fiddle around with whatever you have with you um, to make some adjustments. And, uh, and then I'll, we'll see you back here for Qigong in about five minutes, five or seven minutes. Yeah, i mean it's always best to have your knees below your feet your hips okay. and so um you know or at least not above and so yeah and so if you find it's lifting up too high then you'll it's be going back and so you may want to have something behind your back to make sure that you don't just into that chair yeah there we go yeah. just turn off.